Hey everybody, this is Resonant Yes, and I am so excited to be back with another brand new episode of Love in Brief. Thank you everybody who gave us just and continue to give us so much support um, after the last episode and the last sort of big sad announcement, um, we have just gotten this flood of support from the community and it has been a huge part of what's getting both RT and I through. So thank you for that. Uh, today's episode is, it's right where our minds and hearts are. Um, don't worry, they're not all going to be bummer episodes from here on out, but this one, uh, we try and keep the show really authentic to where we are, and this is where we are. So today we're going to focus on breakups and divorce. And just a couple quick notes. One is that we use the word divorce a lot because the two guests that we have and the experience that we're having are all about literally ending the institution of marriage, the legal institution of marriage together, in addition to ending our relationship. With that said, the focus is on the breakup of a partnership, the breakup of a long-term romantic relationship, potentially even domestic relationship. So where we use the word divorce, depending on where you are in your situation, just please do substitute in breakup or however you choose to think about it. That just happens to be the word that applies to our scenario, but it is meant to be for any kind of breakup of a long-term, really significant partnership. Secondly, I will mention, um, just as a, as a bit of a warning ahead of time, Right around the uh, the 16 minute mark, there is a mention of thoughts of suicide. So if you uh, might be sensitive to that or don't want to hear that, totally get it. You may want to skip from about minute 15 to about minute 18 um, as, as that uh, difficult topic is discussed. Other than that, really glad to be back with RNT uh, doing the show. Really excited to be with you and to have our guests. And as I said, I promise they won't all be bummer episodes, but we really wanted to bring you uh, this episode from right where we are. Without further ado, here's Love and Brief. <laughs> Welcome to Love in Brief, a brief ABDL podcast focused on issues of love. Love for yourself. Yep. Love for others. Yep. Love for your community. Yep. Um, love for your puppers. Sure. Yeah. And love for all that life has taught us so far. Even and the I hard think, shit. Yeah, I think that's kind of where we are today. Yeah. Hey, I'm Resonant Yes. I'm Renette Taken. And uh, this is a kind of buck wild episode. So if you happen to hear the last one, which was a few weeks ago... We shared some difficult news, and um, now R&T and I are both in a stage, and we're working through this together, but we're both in a stage of like, fuck, what now? What do we do now? Now what? And it's not cute. It's really fucking hard. And is that fair, r and I would say that's pretty fair, yeah. Yeah. And so we have, um, oh my God, I mean, we've had this amazing outpouring of support. And this is the moment where, like, for those of you who maybe have had bad experiences in the community, I want to validate that. But in this moment, like, the community showed up and sent love and wisdom and encouragement. And, I mean, I'm, t I'm talking about, like, every morning... I would wake up and get some message that said, like, you're going to be okay today. And here's, here's something that could encourage you. So just let me pause and say, thank you. Like, you guys have showed up big for us. 
give us all the answers, please. <laughs> is that pressure or what? It's probably yeah. more cautionary tale. Please don't do what we did or what I did. That's fair. <laughs> That's fair. Better. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I have learned more from mistakes than I ever have from doing things right. So I'll take that. True. So I, I want to introduce two folks, uh, one of whom you may be more familiar with, one of whom may be new to the podcast, but um, either way, these are folks who have given us a little bit of light in the darkness, and tonight we'll share a little bit of their story. So we'll start, um, I mean, if it's all right, we'll start with Baby Misty. Um, Baby Misty, tell us a little bit about your love. Wow. I gave this answer... And I didn't fully believe it when I said it during the pandemic as your guest. Ooh, and thank yeah. you for having me again. But the ability to regenerate. Here we are sitting in spring and things that have been looking completely dormant and encased in ice are now blooming. So that human capacity to rebuild after tragedy, I believe it more now than when I said it when I was on your podcast as a guest in the middle of the pandemic. That's just That's goddamn, goddamn poetic is what that is. I completely agree. I looked out the window here, here. earlier today and I saw those daffodils blooming in the midst of all the broken leaves of fall and the little remnants of winter. I'm ready to rebuild. How about you, RNT? 100%. And yep. you both are poets right now, so I'm very I'm very much enjoying <laughs> this. Just listening. <laughs> fair, fair. Um, we also want to welcome our other guest, William Little. William, tell us about your love. How do I follow that? I know. Um, <laughs> I'm excited for the warm weather, and it feels like change for me. Um, I think, you know, it's been great having, you know, so much love for everybody else. But the one thing that I have a very hard time with is, you know, having love and compassion for myself. I'm always hardest on myself. So that's something mm. that has been sort of ongoing, and um, I'm, I'm trying to work on that every day and, and uh, um that also brings me here in the, into this discussion. I mean, love for self. If there was one one type of love that this podcast and RNT and I have tried our hardest to reinforce in ourselves and in others, I mean, that's the one, right? So here with you, yeah. that is the hardest one, and good for you for pursuing it. Well, because they, I mean, doesn't the saying go? You have to love your. You have to be able to love yourself before you can. Love others, is that it? Yep. Yep. I don't know. I don't know if that's always true, but I do know that loving others is much easier when you feel like your love is a gift to give and that you're worthy. Yeah. You have to put your mask on before you help the other passengers. I have been telling my that is that has been a mantra for me lately. It's mm. absolutely true. Yeah. So here we are. I mean, we're, we're post plane crash. I don't know what the, I, I'm not going to try and carry this analogy over. Um, oh, but, no, no, no. You have to now. <laughs> we lost some altitude. We've lost some altitude, but nobody's dead the, yet. The peanuts went flying. Right. We're reviewing the black box. We're all <laughs> looking at the black box. <laughs> I mean, and this whole episode. An airplane that doesn't work becomes a glider. Good point. Oh. That makes it sound so so peaceful. We are so we're on fire today. I can tell you though, there there are half on of those on who, fire. Get it? Oh God! There are half of those who have listened uh, or who are listening now who have been through a breakup who would say, "Oh yeah, we were a glider, right? Like we we totally 
we're able to glide into the next stage of our lives. And then there's half of those who are like, no, this was a fucking wreck into the side of a mountain. Everything was on fire all at once. And I think we have room for both today because we want to talk about what it's like trying to rebuild your life after a breakup or a divorce, depending on, on what your relationship was. But uh, we're really focused on not just a breakup like, hey, I dated somebody for a few weeks and it was pretty great. But I, I'm talking about what about those breakups that are like central to your life where you thought you had everything figured out as R&T and I did. And then, and then things had to change. How do you rebuild your life after that? So if it's all right, um, baby Misty, I'll, I'll go to you first, but tell us a little bit and, and we won't spend too much time on, on the, the before, but tell us a little bit about the context for what it was like before and the moment that it became apparent or the moments that it became apparent that it was time to rebuild. Yeah. So I, I met, now I've been divorced twice. So I am a two time club. You know how they have the punch cards at like the smoothie place. Um, yeah, so you and me both. Know, you, yeah. you don't want to get to the point that you have too many punch cards on that. Yeah, so if I get to six, six I, 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 I don't only deserve a free smoothie, but some kind of free divorce. I basically like say if someone's getting married Liz Taylor style, and it's like someone's <laughs> wedding, like I have to give you a stick of gum. Like it's cool that you still believe in it. I never wanted to remarry. Yeah. Um, I met my partner on diaper mates, and it felt like from a vanilla perspective, I have always had the negative, like the Polaroid, the uh, Kodak negative mirror image that like everything lined up from a kink perspective, but my vanilla life, that person was not compatible with the life that I saw myself leading. Mm. And here I met somebody that hit every, like if you had that arbitrary wish list, um, he had everything. And then we met off diaper mates. So we figured this would be great. And there was a big issue around having children and I did not want to have kids. Um, and we actually broke up over the issue. Mm. Um, and at the time I was 37 and I was like, ask me in 10 years and he's eight years, my senior. And he goes in eight years, you're going to be in 10 years, you're going to be like almost 50. And I said, yeah, maybe then I'll think about having a kid. Um, and then while we were broken up, he had said to me, well, you know, just because women in your family had kids naturally into their late forties and fifties, that doesn't mean that you will. And I was so paranoid about it. I went to get my eggs frozen. And in the process of freezing my eggs, I would go out on dates, get drunk, and we would end up at each other's places. And we got pregnant. Oh, wow. wow. So they went to extract my eggs. And the fertility doctor was super pissed. Because he's like, yeah, you knew, you know, like, this was possible. And he's like, you're already pregnant. And I was like, that can't be possible. And he's wow. like, well, yeah, it is. I mean, they had told me I had a 10% chance in one calendar year at my age at the time to get naturally pregnant. And it happened within like a month. Wow. Um, we were broken up only for three oh months that goodness. summer. Yep. So the decision was made for me. And um, then it was, okay, well, I'm in my late thirties and here's this person that moved cross country for me um, and checks every vanilla box. So let's do this. Um, and I kind of felt after we had our child and this was a major, huge Thing for him right and I'll say that he's a fantastic father it is like the main impetus of his life but what he would say to me when he wasn't able to meet my baby needs was that he felt resentful that he was wasting 
um, all of his daddy energies on me in lieu of a biological child. And I made the mistake of almost like a hostage situation, thinking, okay, I've delivered literally, you know, here's your offspring. Now you're going to get around to treating me little. And it never happened. And I was like the placenta left over, like the afterbirth that you're like, oh, I got what I wanted. And he probably should have hired a surrogate um, because the wreckage emotionally was quite bad. And we did have a second child shortly thereafter. You know, he's a great co-parent, but I, I mourn the loss of some years. And William Little is my role model for ABDL divorce, but I feel an obligation to reach back just like William Little did to me when we met at a con and we only had a couple hours to hang out and he's one of my closest, dearest friends today. But now when I meet a stranger and they're in this realm and they're going through this, I think it's just this extra layer that you built intimacy in a world where you already feel extra isolated more than the average bear. So I feel like this topic's really important. I'm glad you're having the show. Me too, and I feel really lucky to have both of you on it. And I want to dig more into that connection, sort of like what makes that special. It to to sort of capture. I know it's impossible to capture your story in a few words, baby Misty, but um, but it sounds like there were some sort of serious life choices about having children that you all had a fundamental disagreement on. And then when when that decision kind of got made for you. Um, that some of your other priorities fell by the wayside and you ended up becoming your own sort of surrogate, you know, daddy in this case, uh, because some of the things that you had held tight to as sort of a cornerstone of your relationship went away. The magnetic pole that attracted us, when you think about you were a kid and you flipped those magnets around, Suddenly, without flipping and reversing polarity, he did and I didn't, all of a sudden it was repulsive. Like the idea of me wearing and him being aware that that was happening made him furious, yeah. made him like, like, it's as if, you know, I did the most distasteful thing, but strangely, this is what somehow opened the door to attraction for us to be together. Yeah. Um, so that's very painful. It still hurts if I think about it. That sounds like it would have been really confusing. I... Like, without there being an actual, I don't know, problem with you wearing diapers, like, something that, like, completely, like, you put them on and then suddenly you started, like, setting the house on fire. It seems like it would have been such a confusing shift. Oh, and um, it was, I think it was very related to suddenly having biological children. And when we were in couples counseling at one juncture, he said to me, well, shouldn't you work on going to a therapist to and stop being like this? And that was like, and I think we've shifted from marriage counseling to divorce counseling because it's like asking me not to have brown colored eyes. Yes, that's not fair. Yeah, I know that feeling of like, could you just be different? Nope. Nope. Can't. Hmm. That's really helpful. So I, I want to I hold that context and I want to go to William and tell me, William Little, about... The context for your decision to split from your partner. So my ex-wife and I, we met and I was up front with her probably, you know, a couple of weeks in about, you know, the, my little side and she had participated and prior to us getting married, you know, that was, you know, a great part of our relationship. And for a long time, it was very good. We had kids, our life with our kids was great. Um, once the kids came, 
um, she, you know, she kind of, you know, less and less interaction to the little side. She already had, you know, two little kids and that was kind of exhausting to her. Um, my, uh, profession took a huge hit with the recession and what I did was, was becoming more and more difficult, was putting a lot of stress on the both of us. And, uh, I had a place to go to, you know, I was, I would fall into little space and that would relieve a lot of my stress and I could continue to go on, but she was just awake at night and that made her resent the little side of me. So as, as time went on, you know, her being in mental health, she understood how important that side was to me and that that's not going to change and, um, became more for her to deal with that. She was, ended up being repulsed by that side of me, just like we've just sort of talked about. And, uh, she ended up, uh, um, you know, having, having an affair at one point and we talked about, um, trying to make it work and we had a, a difficult year and ultimately it was something that we couldn't get beyond. We had kind of just gone in two different directions. Um, you know, by that point in time, you know, I'd had, uh, you know, I had a family, I had kids, I had a wife, I had a great job, I had a house, all these things that, you know, you, society says that you need to have. I'd reached all the goals I really set for myself. And, you know, I was in a really bad place and I had reasoned that it would just be better if I wasn't here anymore. My kids would be taken care of financially and I had made plans that I was just going to move on. And it was probably lucky that my ex was healthcare professional and saw like a change in me suddenly that I was, you know, suddenly like nothing was bothering me and I was okay. And she had me go to, uh, uh, to seek out a therapist. And in a short period of time, I went from being done with everything to having a completely new lease on life and realizing that I had a whole second part to my life. Hmm. And I found a lot of uh, support in friends inside and outside of the community that I didn't know I had support from family. I had support from an ex-wife who I was still having a lot of issues with. Um, but it was sort of the catalyst for me to make gigantic things in my life. I ended up going back to school, changing professions. Um, you know, I probably considered myself to be pan. I was more about, you know, the, the person, less about the, the sexuality. Um, and I've come to find out, you know, now that I, you know, identify as, as being a gay male and I'm, you know, that's, that's where I'm sort of exploring now. Uh, but yeah. you know, it, it, but it was a lot of long nights, a lot of laying in bed next to somebody who you knew was repulsed by what was going on. And I can't tell you how horrible it is to lay in bed next to somebody and know that feeling and try to get beyond that. Um, and also I stopped wearing, uh, went from wearing most nights to wearing almost not at all and hiding that part of myself for a good year. And I did horrible things to myself by doing that. And I knew that I would never get back to that state in my life, that I was going to live my life for me. And uh, as we were saying before, putting the mask on yourself before you help others. And um, trying to make the most of myself so that I could help my kids, I could be you know, productive for myself and for my family and my friends. Um, yeah. So... I mean, it that sounds like start. you went through, yeah, you went through, I mean, tremendous darkness and the feeling of laying next to somebody who's repulsed by this part of you 
I know well from my first marriage, not with R&T. Um, <laughs> the, the idea of being like, okay, I have to start over. And by the way, everything is brand new. I mean, for, for both of you, like you, you both had to reconcile with a part of you, a part of your sexuality, a part of your identity, that you were like, this part is not going away, right? Well, and it's funny too, because I had this discussion with Misty probably like even a, a week or two ago. And I, I said, you know, I had this this part where I was like, never will I put myself in that position again. And uh, I mean, I've been busy with school and I've been busy with changing professions and reinventing myself in many ways. But, you know, I have not exactly been um, forcing the dating scene or, or, or uh, anything. And I think it's, you know, subconsciously, you know, it's, it's still trying to feel comfortable with getting back out there and getting into sort of a relationship situation, you know? Sure. So, yeah. 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 That makes sense to me. I mean, even as somebody who's right now in the middle of it, like it feels like all that relationship stuff feels like a ways off, you know? Yeah, and I would augment it further, speaking for myself, it's not the diaper thing is part of me. If you were to take baby Misty concentrate and we were to put it in a beaker and like heat it up to Kelvin, whatever, I'm not a science person, <laughs> what you would get down to, like my periodic table of elements would just be like a diaper. It would just like a diaper shape or something. <laughs> so this is so like core to who I am yeah. as a human. Right, it's not going away. Not only oh, is it yeah. not going away, but I could not imagine ever being in a situation that it's not fully embraced completely understandable (laughs) (laughs) pick apart that periodic table we'd be like well that's a lot of diaper in there well you know it's a part of my identity you know it's a part of who i am you know and i can't just turn off a big part of me and even if i'm not acting little there's a part of me that always has that there you know and it's hard to explain to a potential partner or to somebody else especially if they're vanilla and you're thinking oh okay well they can learn to understand if they're open-minded but it's hard to explain to them that this is like a core part of me that doesn't have to be visually present all the time at least for me it doesn't uh, i don't want me to speak for everybody but you know, it's hard to get that across to say, this is something that colors, whether you're seeing it or not, this colors everything that I do, everything that I am. Mm. And, um, you know. I would say so- for me, jumping out very first out of this relationship into trying to date, and I probably wasn't ready, but I was so set on finding vanilla people <clears throat> and making sure that there was, it wasn't what my ex had said, that this was some awful thing and I was subjecting him to that and why couldn't I just stop doing that and I was like okay let me pitch this to a total vanilla off a vanilla dating site and see if they run from the room screaming and how did that go it went amazingly well but the only caveat to that is um when we engaged with diapers I think that vanilla partner looked at it as like here's the equivalent of handcuffs in the bedroom and like we're gonna engage with this Scene or this item and then mm. once everyone's had their moment then like oh yeah we tuck that away and throw that in a bag right. and that goes in right. the luggage right. And, right. and buy and it's like no 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 when that's done it's actually where you have to double 
redouble those efforts because I need to know <laughs> it's not just about like, ooh, we're doing something taboo. Like, this is my identity and this is who I am. I will say that, like, I want to acknowledge that, like, people who listen to the podcast are all over that spectrum. Some folks would say, oh, my God, it is an indelible part of me. It has to be present in every sexual interaction I have. And by the way, even when it's not sexual, it's really, really important to me. There are other folks who listen to the podcast who would say, oh, yeah, it's super cool and it totally turns me on. And also I have a billion things that turn me on. And so for you, this may or may not feel familiar. Now for me, it's factory installed. It's one of those things that's like, yeah, probably somewhere in my relationship, this is probably going to need to be a thing. It doesn't have to be every encounter, but God, it's around a lot. And there's a whole spectrum in between. So you may be anywhere on that spectrum. But the point is, is if you and your partner don't align or at least have room for each other on that spectrum, that can be a really big problem. Now, I do want to move from, okay, we have decided that this relationship is probably not in the best interest of both of us for all kinds of reasons. Uh, Maybe there's hurt, maybe there's even trauma there, but we need to split up. And here we are. Now it's time to start, I won't say a new life. I mean, your life continues throughout, but it's time to start a new perspective on what's next. And this is right where RT and I are. And I won't speak for you, RT, but it, it feels like we're right at this, I'm right at this moment where it's like, okay, how the hell do we try and tackle the world given that we had this other assumption in mind? I am right there with you. It's um, it's like trying to navigate, and, and I think it's probably even made worse or more complicated by how long you're with someone. I, I think yeah. I don't know what ten years ago me was doing out in the world. Like I, I that that person so far away that yeah, that was I, a third of your life ago. Right. Yeah. So like I jump out into the, you know, open and I think, oh, my God, like what? What am I doing? Like, I was following our plan, you know. So, right. yeah, I am, yeah, we I'm had a plan. That. Mm-hmm. So I would love to know, baby Misty and William, like after those first days of just sort of shock and I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of grief mixed in this whole process. But like, what did you do next? So. For me, I had mentioned I, I went through a period of time where it was not so great, and I went in and got a uh, a great therapist who kind of put me on track. But the first thing that happened was trying to identify the people that are the positive support people in your life. And that can be people in the community. That can be people outside of the community. I tend to find out that, that people stepped out that even I didn't even anticipate. Um, that was sort of around the time frame that you and I started talking and you gave me some great advice. Um, I had people mm-hmm. inside the community that um, helped me with my little side of things. And I had people like family members who were supportive of things that I was doing to change other parts of my life. But you have to realize it's not something that you can just do on your own. Isolating does you no good. Um, you really need to get out there and you need to, to be with people because we have, as as a couple, you know, speaking just generally, as a couple, you have 
these formulated roles in your mind about who this person is to you. And you've been making decisions based upon yourself and somebody else for so long. Um, even after I stopped wanting to be, um, you know, with my, with my uh, wife, you know, we, she, it was still weird because in my mind, she was still like my, my wife or my ex-wife or whatever, but she still occupied this role in my head. And I felt like that took longer than getting over the, the issue of the emotional uh, side of things and about oh, sure. his spouse, right? So sure. it's like sitting, like sitting on the sofa and saying, "Oh, did you see? Oh, it's you, there's all these inside jokes. There's all these things that you guys have identified back and forth for years and years. And now it's just you, and you have to sort of learn new ways of communicating. And that's when getting these support people really helps out. Like uh, Misty has been my go-to person, my oh my god person. You got to hear this." for, for so, such a long time now. Mm. And you know, that, um, that's been hugely important. Like, Oh my God, you got to hear what happened to this. And maybe that was your spouse before. Um, but now it takes a long time to shed the roles beyond just the change in the relationship. I mean, at least yeah. in my experience yeah. and for most people yeah. that I've talked to. That is know? such a great and call out. It's, it's not just, Hey, we've made the decision you know, we were together, now we're not. But there are roles. There are roles that you play in each other's lives, whether it's the person mm-hmm. sitting next to you watching Netflix or the person who, you know, gets together with you while you make your own lunch. Like, those are roles. And so you have to find ways to fill those You can easily roles. shed some of those roles if you're parents, sure. too, because you have to be, you know, involved as parents. So, you, yeah. It's, yeah. you know, that's definitely mucks the water a little yeah, we've experienced a lot of that for sure. And there's a lot of archetypical, like here's this archetype, even if you're talking to a stranger and they're asking you a pretty innocuous question like, hey, where'd you get that shirt? And your brain has to do this conversion where historically you'd be like, oh, my wife gave me this from blah, blah, blah. And then you realize now I have to call that person something else. And then the process of that is in these life changes and milestones, there are certain ones that are celebrated, birth, marriage. And it's really interesting how it is never good news, similar to announcing when someone's passed away, maybe unless they were a long prolonged illness, but other people respond to the news of a divorce, even if you didn't know the people like a death. And I know since Resident Yes and Road Not Taken, you guys are famous. And it was really interesting to have had my phone blow up um, and only having been, this is now the second time I'm a guest in your podcast, but people were mourning how beautiful, and you still are beautiful, loving people to each other, but the fact that it didn't work out. And I think it's really hard when you go through a major life milestone and there's some ritualized reactions around death. We send flowers, we show up at a funeral, but there's nothing codified for divorce. And some people are overjoyed and they want to throw a divorce party and invite people and have a ceremony. And, and other people may look upon that as like, wow, that's really crass or you shouldn't do that. And there's no rule book. So that's what I think is confounding about ending of relationships is we have rituals for folks making lifelong commitments to each other. We don't as a society in any way, shape or form have anything codified of like, there's no card that says, I'm sorry, you guys broke up or I love you both. Or what do we do? It's one of these we're not really supposed to talk about. God, that's so good. Absolutely. You know, I don't, I think, I'm not really sure why because I I can't quite remember it at the moment, but I know it's probably not super PC to quote Louis C.K., 
there's <laughs> maybe not, but that's okay. I was thinking separate that too. the art from the artist. Separate the artist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. So there's um there's that bit that he says about no good marriage ever ending in divorce. Mm, right. And that doesn't mean both people aren't good and both of them didn't try incredibly hard and that their love wasn't good. It just means that the marriage wasn't right. When I was having such a hard pro- hard time and I was speaking to Resident Yes, he said, thinking about judging of your marriage by the way that it ended would be like um, me thinking of my dad by the way that he passed. Um, you know, there were good parts to the marriage. So it's not necessarily like, oh, you got divorced, your marriage was horrible. But you certainly got to a point where you decided it was time to not continue. And like, I, you know, my ex-wife and I had, a, you know, a very good period of time. And, you know, we just changed as people, you know, we, we went in different directions. And I think, you know, every marriage is different, obviously. But, um, you know, I, I think it's true, you know, you get to a point, D- divorce is the, you know, the indicator that, you know, things have gotten to that point, but it doesn't mean that there wasn't something there to start with. And I think that that good part that was in the marriage at one point, it must have been good at one point because you guys were together. That's got to be the kernel for you to try to salvage something moving on, especially if you have kids. Um, for sure. For because, sure. you know, you're going to see this person for the rest of your life, right? You know, if, right. if uh, yeah. 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 Well, and I can attest to it so far. I don't, I don't know. I think even whenever we were having our own troubles, our life with our kiddos still was so important. And yeah. I think today we played baseball for about an hour and a half today. Right. And it felt so familiar. And I think part of that is actually quite hard for me is how relaxed and familiar it feels. Right. Right. Um, because it feels as it seems as though it shouldn't feel like that. Well, I mean, this speaks to me of the ritual that Misty was referring to, which I think is so astute, which is like we have rites of passage when you pass certain milestones in your life, right? You graduate from high school. We have a rite of passage. You graduate from college. You get married and there's this big thing and all of your friends show up and then you have a divorce and everybody sort of quietly is like, "Uh, did you file the paperwork? Yeah, we got it in. Okay, uh, I guess you're divorced. And then sort of the biggest thing that might happen is they might throw a party and be like, yay, divorce. And sure, no good marriage ends in divorce. Fine. But it doesn't work that way. Sorry, but it is a good marriage until it's not, right? It's not like it's inherently bad. And so you get to the end of it and you've had these amazing experiences and some of the really, really hard experiences. And at some point you've decided either both of you or one of you has decided that like, this is no longer the thing that will make the most sense for my life, but there's no ritual. There's no way to say, God, you should grieve and you should celebrate. You should grieve because it was great. And now it's, it's over. And over is hard. And you should celebrate because I guess you figured that out. It's really strange that we don't. We have a ritual culturally for almost everything. But it's really interesting to me that broadly in society, people think it's something to be very upset about. And there is heartbreak. But a lot of times it's opening up the possibility that you could have a future like William Little did, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Right. 
Well, so, William, this is where I'll point it back to you, because I know we've been talking about ourselves for a while, but you now have a different life than you had before you made this decision. And I'm curious, what is your new life like? And how do you look back on that choice? Well, tying into what we just said, um, you know, I think I come from a time frame where, you know, my parents and everything like divorce was a failure. Like, you know, you didn't have anything that was like, there was nothing good about it. Like if you had it, it was like, Ooh, we don't talk about that. We don't, we, we don't want to like let people in on the fact that we we're getting divorced. Um, but I, you know, and so it was hard for me in that sense, like having to admit that I had failed in, in, in marriage, but ultimately I think, especially for my kids, it was so much work that, that we both put into developing that relationship together and looking out for one another and trying to co-parent and be on the same page and showing the kids that it's important for us to celebrate each other still. Like, and when we have, you know, um, when we date to be supportive of the other partner and let our kids know that we want each other's happiness. You know, we can be apart and we can celebrate each other and have the happiness of our partner. And, you know, even when things aren't going well for us, like we can still be happy when, when things are going, it's not a competition. And show that to our kids because if it doesn't work out, you know, hey, we just want everybody to be happy and everybody to know that they're cared for. And, that's been our main goal. We've been supportive of each other. We've really gotten to a good place. My ex and I have, have gone on vacation together without the kids and hung out together. And that's been um, an awesome time without any stress at all, just because we're just enjoying each other's company. Um, I know it's not the norm. And, and a lot of our friends are like, oh my God, you guys are still like friends. Like what's going on? It's like, well, we're just trying to support each other. There was something there that, that we knew that we could be friends. We went through some difficult times and there's a lot that we had to work through. And I mean, trust me, there was things that we had to work through. Um, and it can't always happen for everybody, but you know what, it, just, it paid dividends for us. Um, and, you know, she was very supportive of me going back to school and my new profession and, you know, things for, for you know, in, in my life and, and supporting me at every turn, so. But it's true, you know, people just don't see it that way. They don't see it as being something that can be a positive thing. I'm gonna poke the bear, and I, I know that you've done so much work, and you should be applauded left and right. But I'm gonna bring mm -hmm. up something which you might need to edit later. When you were <laughs> referencing the opening scenes of the Pixar movie Up, and there's that age uh, progression of here they are, young animated yeah. people in love, and then all of a sudden she's not at his side. And William Little's telling me this story, and he he Tore mourned he mourned that life progression, even though you know he doesn't want to be with his ex-wife anymore. And I've experienced this too, and it was acrimonious. It may not sound the way that we are today; that it was incredibly acrimonious and troublesome. But I still mourn that assumption that now that bubble has been popped to pull in the Pixar up balloon parallel of I'm not going to be oh, yes. growing old with that person. And then we had such high hopes that that's who we were going to be for each other. Even though I know I would Absolutely. never get back with my ex-husband because, wow, we made each other deeply unhappy. I'm still super sad about that. So tell me, because you're the one that gave me yeah. that example with those opening scenes in that movie. How does that resonate? How does that align with what you just said about, like, it's so much better and we're besties now? You know, it's... 
It's the difficult things in life that can be the catalyst to the biggest change. Um, had I not gotten divorced, I would have been probably miserable in my profession and, and what was going on and felt trapped. I you know, would not have found out, you know, and explored my sexuality. I would not have, uh, or at least in probably the way that I am now, I would have not gotten into a profession that I love and I would not have um, had such open opportunities ahead of me um, that I had then. If you're in a great relationship with somebody and you can manage to make those changes and grow in the same direction, there's beautiful things ahead for both of you and that takes communication. But if you grow in different places and you get to a point where you, you know that you want different things, it doesn't mean that you have to end your relationship. It just means that things have to change. And divorce doesn't have to be the big dragon that's going to like take everybody down. It can just be something now that just is like the catalyst for change. And, um, you know, I'm not where I want to be. I'm not where I want to be. I'm trying, but, uh, you know, like that's all we can do every day is keep trying to be the better um the, the better example of our, you know, where we want to be. Uh, yeah. I don't think a, any of us are yeah. where <laughs> we want to be like, right. Like we all have these aspirations, but like you've, you've done this incredible pivot in your life and maybe Misty, so have you that you've said, you know what, the thing that I have is not what I want. And uh, we, we have to wrap with this, but I will say looking at both of your stories and even looking at our own story, it's the hardest fucking thing in the world to say, look, I had a plan and it was a good plan and I have love and that love is good, but I need change. I need something to be different and I know what needs to be different. That's the hardest fucking thing in the world. And you begin a process of grieving. And when you, when you talk about grief, like you guys talked about loss, I think that's very real and every day. I wake up and I see another thing that I have to grieve because I had this plan, like the movie Up, I had this plan for how this would end. And maybe it will end like that, and maybe it won't. I have no goddamn clue. But I know that it's not going to get there the way I thought it would. Yeah, same here. Yeah. Look, when things change, that doesn't mean it's bad. It just means it's going to be different now. And it's okay to grieve that. Because that's right where I am. I'm right in the middle of grieving. RNT, I don't know if you're there too, but I'm right in the middle of grieving. Yeah, I think there are times where I can actually identify what stage I'm in. Mm, of of the grief process, yeah. It's incredibly, like, clear, yeah. Yeah. And you both have given me, like, some vision on it's okay to grieve. And it's okay to have no idea what the next thing is. Because I don't, I don't know what R and I, I know that R and T is going to be a part of my life, hopefully forever. I have no idea what that's going to look like. So, I'm really grateful for that. So I will ask you both, and I'll, I'll go to uh, William Little first. But I'll ask you both, like, if you could give advice to somebody like us, and this is very real and very present. If you could give advice to somebody like us who's just now going through the beginning of that grieving process and the beginning of that change process, what would you say to us? Just keep swimming. It's not, you know, I've made lots of changes in my life 
And it's not like I don't have days where I feel like I'm falling apart. You know, it's every day is a day for us to try to improve ourselves and to try to be okay with things. I have long since gotten over the breakup of my relationship and, um, you know, how that has changed. Um, now it's now my relationship has become a positive influence in my life. But that doesn't mean that I'm I don't have days where I'm depressed or I'm down about the state of things. Um, you just got to keep moving and you just got to keep trying to see and, you know, what you can do and address the things that are going on and look for help wherever you can find it because it's there. Um, the people in the community are great for that. And, the you know, friends and family, you know, hopefully, you know, you have people that you can rely on, but it's, it's, uh, it, it definitely comes back to understanding that it is a process. For my end of things, I would say it's really difficult to evaluate what constitutes a rough patch and what is the finality of the possibility of building a future. And that was probably the biggest seesaw for us um, in our relationship to be like, are things going to get better? Because you hear people in longer, um, it's funny that the way we measure relationships tends to be duration and not intensity or quality. I guess it's just the easiest thing from the outside to put a measuring stick up and say, oh, you have your golden anniversary. You know, you were together with someone for 50 years. And I think the remedy to that or the advice that I would give is you know yourself better than anyone. Or if you haven't started to do the work of journaling or having a counselor or really going on long introspective works with your introspective walks with yourself, when we kicked off this conversation about diapers to William Little and I being an identity and for other people, you know, um, when I actually think of Mako and how he'd be like, there's this cake, you know, wedding cake analogy he uses with like lots of the different layers and the filling and the frosting and everything else. And he does a great job. If to you, diapers are just like the cherry on top of the cake, um, then maybe you would have a much better or much different, it may not be diapers that's the issue in your relationship or your breakup, but um, you really have to recognize and reconcile what is important to you. Because for me, the deepest feeling was having ABDL be a part of my life. And I would almost rather be dead than not have a life where I can engage in that and be active in that part of myself. Um, so I had to have a lot of talks with myself to figure out, is this just a rough patch in my marriage? Do other people in their relationships, how do they recover for this? And we came to a couple places where there was no, there was a stalemate. And it was like the movie, the Monty Python movie, where it's like, it's merely a flesh wound and you're, you're basically amputated in every limb and you're bleeding, you're bleeding out. And you're like, it's fine. It's merely a flesh wound. We had to come to the realization that it wasn't. Yeah. And that's probably the hardest decision. And you kick yourself. And I, if this is any help whatsoever, I've been divorced for four years. I would not want to get together and be back with my ex, but it still hurts. That missing limb, the phantom limb appendage pain, it, sometimes it itches. And sometimes, you know, like your arthritis and your missing limb, like you feel it on a rainy day. So um, understand yeah. that that seems to be the norm. And there's a lot of complexity around this. There's some joy and there's a lot of sadness and that will continue yep. no matter what yep. years after. There are holes in your life when you say goodbye to somebody or you separate and there will be moments where you're like, Oh God, something has to fill the hole. And those little phantom pains come for a while. That doesn't mean they're bad. 
but they are there. So I'm glad you spoke to that. I want to um, really quick, um, I want to get to ways that people could get in contact with you if they wanted to. And uh, I'll come to you, Baby Misty, first. If, if somebody wanted to reach out and say, hey, I'd like to learn more about this topic, how might they get in touch with you? I'm just on FetLife, Baby Misty, and I answer pretty much almost every message. It's really unusual that I don't. Um, so I'm a chatty Cathy, obviously. <laughs> so feel free to reach out. <laughs> Very good. Thank you. And William Little, how should people get in touch with you if they want to? Uh, you can reach me on FetLife at William Little. Uh, I'm also on Instagram at ABDL Will. I think Very that's it. good. Perfect. Thank you. I mean, guys, we have barely scratched the surface on this. But also, my guess is our listeners, some of them are like, quit talking about all the breakups. We want to get back to building new relationships. So we will do some of that as well. But hopefully for those of you who have um, struggled with breakups, hopefully like us, uh, this has been helpful to you. It certainly has been to us. And uh, R&T, before I do a, a, a quick tag, anything else you want to do? Uh, no, I just want to say thank you to our guests like you. I feel like I've gotten a really two really good perspectives, and it's encouraging to hear from both of you. For sure. So thank you, William Little. Thank you, Baby Misty. Um, this has been another episode of Love in Brief.